0: Welcome back to the Reading and Writing Podcast. My guest today is Hannah Halperin, author of the debut novel, Something Wild. Hannah, welcome to the podcast.
1: Thank you so much for having me. I'm happy to be here.
0: Sure. Well, if someone hasn't yet heard about your debut novel, Something Wild, how would you describe the novel?
1: Sure. Um, So Something Wild is the story of Nessa and Tanya Bloom, who are two adult sisters, and one weekend they go home to their childhood house in Arlington, Massachusetts, and they're helping their mother, Lorraine, clean out the house because she's um, going to move. And that weekend they find out that their mom is in an abusive marriage with their stepfather. And both sisters, who are pretty um, pretty different women, have uh different reactions to finding out about this abuse and they have they have very different relationships with their stepfather as well and um they're they're trying to get their mother to leave um this marriage and over the course of this weekend um and sort of witnessing the abuse that they do it ends up stirring up for the sisters a traumatic thing this this event that happened um in their early teenage years that they've never spoken about before.
0: And do you remember the original idea or impetus that led you to write something wild?
1: Yeah. Um, the the novel really began as a short story that I wrote, um, I guess it was back in 2015. And the story was kind of about those early teenage years and, um, and this very intense female friendship and this, this traumatic thing that happens to these these two teenage girls and um, the fallout between the two teenage girls following it. And, you know, in, in the story that I wrote, the two girls were friends and they kind of go their own separate ways um, because the, the thing that happens to them is, um, was really upsetting and they both experience it very differently. And when I, when I started turning the, the story was really haunting me and I, I wanted to make it bigger. And it, as I started turning it, turning it into a novel, um, I, the, in the story, the girls were friends and I decided to make them sisters in the novel and this, you know, it, it became much bigger to me. And as they, as they became sisters um, I started thinking a lot about their family and how they'd grown up and, you know, who, who their parents were. And, you know, when, when you're, when you're sisters and you don't necessarily have that option to walk away from each other after something really awful happens, um, you know, how, how does their relationship um, evolve from there? And, um you know the the story is the the novel's a lot about um uh divorce and after after the girl's parents divorce they each marry um they each remarry pretty quickly and um one of the daughters becomes quite close with um the mother's new husband and the other daughter becomes close with the father's new wife and i started asking questions of sort of why does that happen and and sort of how how does this family evolve over the years? And it, it just um, it kind of grew from there. I had all these sort of moving pieces with the novel. Sort of how do, how does the past play into the present? And it was kind of this messy process of figuring out how do these how do these different parts of their lives all fit fitted together?
0: Sure, and and what was it that made you decide that you wanted to turn this short story? this original short story into a novel? Was it just the idea kept resonating and, and, and staying with you?
1: Yeah. Um, the story was, it was such a weird story. It kind of came out of, I, it was one of those stories that sort of came to me in a flash and it was probably the strangest story I'd ever written. And, um, it, it was kind of a, a frightening, scary story, and it it did this thing where it played with the past and present a lot, and I I just could imagine it being bigger. It seemed like there was room for it to be bigger, and and it I, I just wanted to sort of see what happened if I if I tried to make it bigger. I it was it was I, I think. Um, I wasn't I wasn't bored with it yet. I wasn't done with it. I could imagine sort of staying in that weirdness for longer. And so so I did and um and it, it just grew.
0: Sure. Well, you said that this was different than other stories that you had written. Do you remember when you originally wrote the original short story? Did did it start with just uh an idea? Did it start with just a single sentence? Do you mm-hmm. remember that?
1: Um, I remember it started with, uh, it started with a voice, um, and it, it started with a voice and then sort of, as I was writing, I had this kind of strange idea for something that would happen in the past and I didn't know if it would, it would work, um, and it, it was one of those. Say, you know, I was I was thinking a lot about sort of, you know, kind of the. You know the the loneliness of those sort of early teenage years of being mm-hmm. with a girl, and kind of, um, you know, it's it's a very vivid time of life, and uh sort of the danger surrounding that that particular time of life and sort of in that story sort of pushing it to an extreme and um, I decided to sort of try it out in in the story I think short stories are a safe place to sort of try out extremes and um, and I, I I did it and it was you know it was during my MFA program so I was sort of lucky enough to have readers and sort of get feedback and it was it was an exciting story for me to write because it was more plot driven than perhaps some of my other stories.
0: Right. And I'm I'm curious what was your writing journey that led you to writing and getting your MFA and and then writing in this debut novel? Had you always written?
1: Yeah, I've I've always written since, you know, er um, I could. I remember. I remember in second grade uh, having like a you know our first creative writing assignment, and just being so excited by it, and then kind of writing, writing sort of nonstop from there. So I've I've been writing sort of you know short stories or little novels you know for, for as long as I can remember, and that that's you know and and reading a ton. Um, and then, and, you know, t- t- basically taking as many writing classes as I possibly could, because that was the thing I always just loved to do. Um, and then, um, and then, you know, throughout, uh, uh, you know, get, get, getting a, a job after college and, and taking some writing classes at the same, you know, um, at the same time. and. And that's kind of when I learned about MFAs and you know, getting really fixated on, on wanting to go and do that and um and writing short stories while I was while I was in Wisconsin. And um it was kind of the the summer after my MFA that I I started turning one of these short stories into a novel. And then um, after I graduated I I moved to Martha's Vineyard for two years and I was working um as a domestic violence counselor and and that's when I, I wrote the first draft of this novel pretty much during those two years.
0: And so what was your MFA experience like at the University of Wisconsin-Madison?
1: I loved it. It was it was so um it was so exciting to to be able to just spend so much time. Um I, I wrote more there than I'd ever written before and it was, you know, to me the most exciting part was having this cohort of people who um, were so talented and and reading their writing um, each week and feeling, um, you know, the just feeling excited to be around um, them and and getting their feedback. And you know, writing is is such an insular thing. So having that community of readers and writers. Um, it was a, it was the first time i kind of allowed myself to really take it seriously and um it was just it was so much fun i i loved it
0: and have you stayed in touch with your classmates
1: yeah yeah i mean most of them were the first readers of um something wild and um you know i'm in a i'm in a writing group now and w- one of my one of the people in my cohort, um, is, is in that writing group. And, uh, you know, we, we, we stay in touch quite a bit. So it's, it's just been nice because there are some of my most, um, I mean, really good friends and then also just trusted readers.
0: That's great. So are you working on another novel now? For the ones who work hard to ensure their crew can always go the extra mile and the ones who get in early so everyone can go home on time. There's Granger. Offering professional-grade supplies backed by product experts so you can quickly and easily find what you need. Plus, you can count on access to a committed team ready to go the extra mile for you. Call, clickgranger.com or just stop by. Granger for the ones who get it done.
1: Um, I am. I, I've been, yeah, I've been working on a second novel, and um, it's, it's re- been really nice to, to have, this other project that i've i've been sort of consumed by.
0: And so what was the path to publication like for you once you did finish your novel, something wild?
1: Um it was yeah, I mean I ended up doing um a, lo- a lot of edits with my agent. She she really helped me to um kind of get get the novel ready to send out and um then um you know we we sold it to viking it, it ended up being sort of a f- um a few months before the pandemic hit and um you know found an amazing home for it i i really love my editor um alison at, at viking and you know then did um about uh, a bunch more edits with with her and it was all sort of you know during the pandemic and Um, but it, you know, it kind of went pretty smoothly and then it, you know, it came out at the end of June. Yeah.
0: Well, what are some novels that you've read recently that you enjoyed?
1: Um, I, I recently, I've been rereading a lot actually, but I, I recently reread, um, The Altruist by Andrew Ridker, which i Loved the first time and, and loved the second time too. It's, um, it's about this, uh, Jewish family, um, uh, who are sort of reconvening in the Midwest, um, where they grew up, uh, after a loss in the family, and they have a lot of issues, and it's, it, um, the author goes into each of their points of view. And it's just it's so funny. I don't I don't often laugh out loud while I'm reading, but I I do with this book and it's it's very cringy humor. Um it and it's it's just so smart and it's I mean it's also an incredibly sad book, but it's it's kind of that mix of funny and sad that I, I like I'm always looking for and it's really good. And um I also am starting on um Happy All the Time by Laurie Colwyn, who's a writer that I really love. I've mostly read her short stories, but this is a novel, so I'm excited to be reading it.
0: That's great. Well, what writing advice would you offer for those who are working on their own stories and novels?
1: Um, I, I, the thing that just came to mind is a piece of writing advice that um, one of my professors, Judy Mitchell, gave us. Uh, and at the beginning of our MFA, and it was, um you know, I think if you are, you know, a writer embarking on writing, you know, one of the things that you will inevitably just face, you know, get a lot of is is rejection. I've gotten way more rejection than I have acceptances. And, um, you know, she sort of gave this advice of, you know, I think some, some rejection is going to hurt more than others. Um, and, you know, to give yourself, to give yourself maybe a day and, and, you know, maybe even up to a few days, um, two or three days to, to feel sad and, you know, however you deal with rejection, if you want to, you know, cry in bed or whatever it is you, you do like give yourself those days, but then you have to, um, you have to get up and keep writing. And cause otherwise you'll just, you know, you'll just stop. Um, and, uh, you know, like the, 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 the short story that I, you know, eventually turned into, uh, a novel, like that, that story was, was rejected, um, you know, a number of times and it, and, and some of them were, were very tough rejections for me. But I, I think ultimately because it was rejected, I ended up sort of it stayed in my consciousness and I kept working on it and working on it. And ultimately I'm happy that it was rejected. And, he, and um, because I ended up sort of turning it into, into something bigger and it, it was ultimately um, published um, a few years later, but I, I think um I think it's, you know, it's writing is one of those things that requires both a thin skin and a thick skin. And I think a lot of writers, you know, you kind of have to have that thin skin to absorb all all what's going on around you. And, you know, maybe this is a generalization, but, you know, a lot of writers are pretty sensitive people. And, but you also have to have that thick skin because you're, you know, you're going to be dealing with, um, quite a bit of rejection, and you have to have some underlying faith that you know to keep going despite sure. it.
0: Do you think that you would have written the novel if the short story had had sold right away?
1: I don't know. Um, <laughs> I, like I, I'm not really sure. Uh, I, yeah, I, I can't say. <laughs>
0: well where can people find you online if they'd like to learn more about you and your debut novel something wild
1: um you can find me on instagram uh hannah uh, h-a-n-n-a dot halperin Um, and i also have a website hannahhalperin.com
0: great well Again, we've been speaking with Hannah Halperin, author of the debut novel, Something Wild. The novel is on sale now, so go buy a copy. And Hannah, thanks for doing this interview.
1: Thank you so much for having me, Jeff. This was great.
0: Now stay tuned for a brief excerpt from the audiobook of Something Wild by Hannah Halperin, narrated by Rebecca Lohman, available from Penguin Audio, wherever audiobooks are sold.
2: Frankly, Tanya Bloom doesn't have time to drive up to Massachusetts and clean out her childhood house. She has dozens of cases to work on, and though she'll bring her computer, the chance of getting anything done is slim. Moving her mother out of 12 Winter Street is a daunting job, and Nessa will be no help. Really, it would be easier to send her mother and her sister off into Boston for the day so Tanya could do it herself, go through the house with industrial-sized trash bags, throw the majority of everything away. Her mother has a hard time saying goodbye to almost anything. The move makes no sense. The so-called property in New Hampshire that her stepfather, Jesse, recently inherited is nothing more than a dusty patch of rubble. The house itself is so bleak and dated, Tanya could barely scroll through all six photos on her phone before calling her mother to talk her out of it. Jessie's going to fix it up. We have big plans for it,' Lorraine kept repeating in such a psychotically cheerful voice that Tanya realized Jessie must have been sitting right there beside her mother. The conversation hadn't lasted more than three minutes." Tanya is taking two personal days off from work to make the trip, Thursday and Friday, the first personal days she's taken since starting her job as ADA in the Manhattan District Attorney's Office one year ago. What will you do without me this weekend? Tanya asks Eitan, her husband, that morning. You should take Will out, she says. Help him meet somebody new. It's 6.30. The latest, they've both stayed in bed together for a long time, months at least. On any other Thursday, Tanya would have already been coming home from the gym by this time, ready to jump in the shower and begin the mad dash of getting dressed in order to get to the 79th Street subway stop no later than 7.50 a.m. Aton makes a face. It's too soon, he says. Besides, Will's too soft for New York women. His ex was from New York. Tanya rolls over on her side and looks at Aton. She likes him best this way, before he's showered or shaved or brushed his teeth, blurred around the edges with sleep. No one else in the world gets to see him like this. Even so, he needs someone kind, Aton says. Maybe someone from the Midwest. Do we know any kind people? Not really. Aton says, smiling. He reaches for her hand. Hey, what about your sister? I think she's seeing some deadbeat she met at work, and there's no way I'd let you set Will up with Nessa. Why not? He's too nice for her. Or maybe she's too nice for him, though nice isn't exactly the word Tanya's looking for. What's wrong with that? Aton asks. Two really nice people can't be together. They'd get bored. There'd be no tension. So I take it I'm the nice one in our relationship? Of course you are. You're one big, giant pushover. Tanya pats his stomach. Her phone vibrates on the nightstand, and Tanya leans over Aton to check. It's a text message from Nessa. Fuck, I think I have a UTI. An ellipsis appears and several more texts follow in quick succession. Is it normal to pee seven times in one hour? My vagina feels like it's going to fall off. Not normal, she texts back. Do you want Aton to write you an RX? Yes, please, Nessa responds. K, okay, Tanya writes, hydrate.